Thank you for listening to the Sharon Church Podcast. If you'd like to know more about the church, please visit us at SharonChurch.com. Now we hope you learn from and enjoy today's message. Continue our worship now through the study of God's Word. Go ahead and grab your Bibles. Turn to Exodus chapter 30. We'll be in Exodus chapter 30 this morning. Just 10 verses. Figure we've covered three chapter, chapters last week. Let's just do 10 verses today. So we're going to do 10 verses in Exodus chapter 30. And um, looking forward to what God has to show us this morning. Out in the hallways, there are some um, posters that have QR codes and ways, things you can scan to then download resource helps for you. There's a study guide and a family guide that goes along with this study in the book of Exodus. So feel free to download those. They're on our website as well, SharonChurch.com. You can go on there to get them. And then on the screen right now will be scripture that you're going to see throughout the rest of this morning. I want you to see it, to know that I'm not making it up. This all comes from scripture. Joel just read scripture. We're going to read more of it this morning. This is going to be immersed in the word of God this morning. So you can take a picture of it, write it down if you want to. We're going to cover um, a good bit here this morning. A few weeks ago, uh, came to the, kind of the close of the summer, and we realized as a family, we hadn't really done much this summer. To celebrate summer, it kind of just flew by for us. Did it feel that way for you? We just got there very quickly. And so what we realized is we need to do something. So we decided we're going to take our kids to a movie. And so I took out a small loan to buy movie tickets. And we, don't tell Dave Ramsey, uh, but I did. And so from there, so we got movie tickets and um, we load up in the car and my kids are bougie. And so they want to go where the seats recline. And by my kids, I mean me, I'm bougie. I want to go where the seats recline. And so we go up tomorrow and um, we go up to go see the movie. And we had planned ahead. So we had the money set aside. We had the time set aside. We even ate a, a lighter dinner because we know we, you can't go to the movie theater and not get popcorn. So we're going to get popcorn. We do the whole thing. We pull up, the kids are excited, we're excited because the kids are excited, we stand in line. And I'm, I'm at the age in my life now where like, I'm not sure I'm doing technology right. Have you reached that point yet? We're like, ah, I really need my six-year-old to help me with this. That's, that's kind of where I'm entering in my life right now. So I've got the codes on my phone, I think. And so we walk up to get it scanned. And so I stand there and I'm ready to get it scanned. And I just hand him my, I get the phone forward. And the guy has the device and he scans it and he looks at me. I'm like, uh-huh. Then he scans it again, and he looks up. I'm like, what are we doing, buddy? I don't understand what we're doing right now. It's just movie tickets. I don't, I'm, not trying, I'm not trying to buy anything. So he does it again, and he's like, man, you're, you're early. And I was like, yeah, you know, we want to get some popcorn. He goes, no, 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 like, you're a day early for the movie. <laughs> I was like, that's cool. Yeah, man, like, I want to plan ahead, so we're just, yeah. And he's like, hey, if you go to customer service... Maybe they can rearrange it. You can see the next movie the next time. That's fine. So we go over. This movie is sold out. And the lady's like, yeah, the next one starts in like an hour and a half. Man, we drove all the way tomorrow. Um, I said, okay. She's like, but the only seats available are in the very front. And I'm also at the stage of my life where if I do that, I'm going to throw up on everybody. Like, it's just, (laughs) I can't handle the moving. I can't handle me having to move to see it. But my kids are there. They're excited. I feel guilty for what I've caused them to sit through. They, they're fine to sit there, most of them. I'm like, all right, fine, we'll do that. So we go to Barnes & Noble, and then we come back and we watch the movie. And I wish I could tell you that's the only time that's happened in my life, that I've bought things for the wrong time. But in honesty, I can't tell you that. I've done that multiple times. 
Sometimes it's just a movie. Sometimes it's a hotel for an anniversary with my wife, but that's not a story I want to tell you right now. <laughs> but uh, all that to say, I, we had everything ready, right? Everything ready. We had the time set aside. We had the money set aside. We, we had our hearts ready for all of it. The problem was admission. I didn't have the right admission. Does that make sense? I had everything else ready. What I was missing was the right admission. So let's keep that thought in mind as we go through Exodus chapter 30. I'm going to read 10 verses. We're going to study through it a bit, but then I want to just put this all in context because we lose some of it. We're back into cubits and dimensions and stuff, and so that's going to happen. It's just 10 verses of it. You're going to be fine. We've done many more, but we're going to study that. But this is one of the final pieces of furniture in the tabernacle. At this point, Moses is still up on Mount Sinai. The people of Israel have been set free from slavery in Egypt, and God is giving Moses the blueprints of the tabernacle. Tabernacle meaning dwelling place or tent. It's going to be the first house of worship for God. He's given Moses all the dimensions, and he's showing him how to furnish the tabernacle. So let's pick up uh, Exodus chapter 30, verse 1. This is God speaking to Moses. You shall make an altar on which to burn incense. And you shall make it of acacia wood. A cubit, about 18 inches, shall be its length, and a cubit its breadth, it shall be square, and two cubits shall be its height. So it's 18 inches by 18 inches by three feet high. Its horns, there's horns on each of the four corners, shall be of one piece with it. You shall overlay it with pure gold, its top and round its sides and its horns, and you shall make a molding of gold around it. You shall make two golden rings for it. Under its molding on two opposite sides of it, you shall make them, and they shall be holders for poles with which to carry it. Remember, they're they're wandering in the wilderness. They're going to the promised land, so they have to carry this tabernacle wherever they go so everything is portable with the holes, uh, rings in the poles. Uh, Verse 5, you should make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. Then verse 6, and you should put them in the front of the veil that is above the ark of the testimony, in front of the mercy seat that is above the testimony, where I will meet with you. So let's get our bearings. So here's the picture of the tabernacle again. Let's just make sure we get our bearings as to what's happening. It's going to be important for us. And we've covered a lot of this, but the outer wall you see there is the courtyard. This is kind of the lobby. It's where people come into the house of worship. The squiggly line on your right is the curtain. It's the gate on the eastern side of the tabernacle. It's how they get into the courtyard. And immediately when they walk in, they see the bronze altar. And then you've got the bronze labor. I think we'll cover that next week or the week after that. But it's all bronze there. Even the poles are bronze. Everything is bronze in the courtyard. We covered this a couple weeks ago because bronze represents judgment. Uh, Bronze can withhold heat up to higher temperatures than other metals can. So that's why it's bronze. And bronze represents judgment, judgment by fire. And we studied a few weeks ago, it's because God, to be, enter into the presence of God, the first thing we have to do is come face to face with our sin, which then leads us to repentance, which is dealing with our sin, confessing it, and then dealing with it. And so that's where we step into the bronze altar. Then you would walk past the bronze basin, and then you see another curtain, which separates the courtyard from the holy place. The priest can enter the holy place, and inside the holy place, you'll see here, there is a lampstand on the south side, which would be your left when you walk in. The table of showbread on your right, representing the 12 tribes of Israel, that's on the right. And then in front of you is what we just studied, the altar of incense, 18 inches by 18 inches by three feet tall. And you see it is up against the curtain that separates the holy place from the holy of holies or the most holy place. It is here in the holy place, the most holy place, the holy of holies, where the presence of God would dwell as smoke and fire. And inside of that place is the Ark of the Covenant. Here we just read it called the Ark of Testimony. 
The Ark of Covenant then is covered, it's a cover, which is called the mercy seat or the atonement cover, the atonement seat. And that's what he's speaking of there. So let's get our bearings to get into where we're going. We're going to have to pass the bronze altar, pass the uh, bronze basin, and then the lampstand and showbread. And then we finally get to this altar of incense. Let's continue in verse 7. And Aaron, remember Aaron is the high priest. Aaron shall burn fragrant incense on it. Every morning when he dresses the lamps, he shall burn it. And when Aaron sets up the lamps at twilight, he shall burn it. So this is the lampstand. When he, when he dresses the lampstands, when he, when he lights them, puts the oil in them, then he has to turn now to the altar of incense. Continuing in verse 8, a regular incense offering before the Lord throughout your generations. You shall not offer unauthorized incense on it or a burnt offering or a grain offering. And you shall not pour a drink offering on it. Aaron shall make atonement on its horns once a year. With the blood of the sin offering of atonement, he shall make atonement for it once in the year throughout your generations. It is most holy, most set apart to the Lord. Now, this altar of incense is important. Incense scripturally represents prayer. Joel referenced a couple of these. So uh, Psalm 141 verse 2 speaks of, of that. Joel just read it. Revelation chapter 5, verse 8, Joel read, also speaks to this incense being prayer that rises to the Lord. Luke chapter 1, verse 2, uh, speaks of the, the hour of incense, which is the hour of prayer, even in the temple in the New Testament. So incense represents prayer. Now, for some of you, incense represents how you cover up other smells when you're in high school. That's what incense represents from some of you who grew up in the 60s and 70s. That's, that's what you did. Uh, but incense biblically is about prayer. The idea is that as the aroma fills the room, so the room is filled with prayer. As the aroma makes its way to the heavens, so our prayers make their way to heaven. This is a holy thing that's happening here uh, to see it. Now, I mentioned prayer, and immediately you regret coming to church today because there's not a person here who's like, I'm good at that. Like, I got the prayer thing down, right? There might be maybe one or two, but not many of us are like, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm good with that. So immediately I said, we're going to talk about prayer. And you're like, oh, I feel guilty and I feel ashamed. And listen, normally I don't want to leverage those things. But today I totally do. Just honestly, like I, I do. I, I want to leverage whatever conviction and holy godly grief you're feeling towards your prayer life. I want us to sit in it today. And I'm so glad you're here to do this. Because I think for too long, we have made prayer optional. I think we've made prayer an add-on. I think we've made prayer something that, I mean, it's okay. Like, if you haven't talked to God in a few months, it's fine. Like, He forgives you. Have you gone that long without talking to a spouse? How'd that go for you? Was that good? You go, you go months without talking to your kids, except for at dinner time. You're not going to have a relationship with them. So, yes, is there grace in the fact that we are not good prayers? Absolutely. But grace doesn't mean we continue in that thing. That's just how I'm wired. That's not how we're wired. No, no. We're wired to be in communion with God. And the way to communion with God is prayer. It's the offering of incense. So this morning, yes, like I want you to feel like you need to change things about your prayer life. I want you to feel that way. I want you to feel like, man, I'm not doing this right. I want you to feel that way because you will not change unless you feel that way. So yes, I think we need to talk about prayer this morning because we must be people of prayer. We can be people of faith and we can be people of good works and we can be people of worship, but if we're not people of prayer, we are people of nothing. 
We must be a people of prayer. And as long as I'm laying on guilt, let me just go for it all the way. Once a quarter, we do a prayer night. You know where I'm going. Sunday morning, we'll have anywhere from four to 500, maybe 550 people here on campus. At a prayer night, we might have 60. And half of those are staff and their family and elders and their family. Now, do you feel guilty? I can keep going if you need me to, but I feel like that should be plenty. And that's not about us wanting attendance. This is about, it's, it's the fatherly thing, the way you feel about your kids. I, just, I want this for you. I want you to have this. Like, I want you to know what it's like to have the presence of God in your life. I, I want you to know it. So yeah, I, I want to leverage whatever godly grief is coming here today. I want us to leverage it. So let's go back to the tabernacle. And I want to address a few reasons. I don't, I don't think today is about how we pray. I think we're going to talk about why today. So in the tabernacle, you see where you've got everything laid out. Again, you walk in, the first thing you come face to face with is you've got to pay this sin debt. You've got to pay the sacrifice. So there's blood of animals. There's the smell of uh, burning flesh, all of that as you walk into the tabernacle. But what's interesting is the only place where there is fire in the tabernacle is the bronze altar. And that fire only comes from God. God lights that fire himself. In Leviticus chapter 16, we learn that the way the priests would light the altar of incense, which they would take a censer, which is a pole with like a cup on the end of it, they would grab coals from the altar of sacrifice, the bronze altar, and they would take that into the altar of incense. The very thing that lights up the altar of prayer is the thing that lights up the altar of sacrifice. It is repentance. The only way, the only way to have the passion and power of prayer ignited in your life is by taking the coals from the altar of sacrifice and using them to light up your prayer life. So you want to know why we don't pray? Because we don't like that part. I'd rather not talk about my sin. I don't want to deal with the blood of my sin and my guilt and my shame. Let's just talk about somebody else's. So why aren't we people of prayer? I don't think it's because we don't have time. I don't think it's because we don't know how. I think it's because we just don't want to deal with it. It comes from there. Now, later in Leviticus, they are ordaining, consecrating the tabernacle. And we meet two sons of Aaron, and they're doing something that they should not be doing. Leviticus chapter 10, it'll be up on the screen. Now, Nadab and Abihu, these are sons of Aaron. We met them, they're up on the mountain with Moses at this moment. They're at a distance, but they're up there with him. They each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord. Some of your translations say strange fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. So what's happening is you've got two priests and they're, they're supposed to be lighting the altar of incense or offering incense to the Lord. But what they do is they take unauthorized or strange fire to do so. And then verse two, and fire came out from the Lord and consumed them and they died before the Lord. Do you think prayer is important to the Lord? And do you think maybe the right heart in prayer is important to the Lord? Absolutely. So this word strange or unauthorized is interesting. So there's a number of different beliefs, like commentators view this differently about what this actually means in Leviticus 10. I'm going to tell you where I land. And I think where I land is where the Bible lands. So that's where I'm going to land. I'm going to, I'm going to stay there. So this word unauthorized or strange is also used in the book of Job. 
Job has gotten deathly ill. He's super sick. And it's so bad to the point that he says that to his wife, his breath is strange. Now, that doesn't mean strange like, oh, I don't know where it's coming from. It means strange like that smells disgusting. That, that's what it means. And wives are really good about that. They'll let you know. And so what that means, so this word strange has to do with fragrance. It has to do with that. So now we take that, put it on the altar of incense, and then the next word, fire, unauthorized fire. That Hebrew word can mean coals or flames. So what's happened? What did Nadab and Abihu do? In my belief, based on the context of Scripture, I think they tried to light the altar of incense with coals that didn't come from the altar of sacrifice. Unauthorized strange also means distant or foreign. So they might have found the flame outside of the courts. And that's how they're trying to light the fire, the altar of incense. Now, how does God feel about it? Well, verse 2 tells you how he feels about it. He consumed them. He ended them. Because there is a way to come to the Lord. There is a way to come to him in prayer. There is a way. And I know in our culture, we want to be able to do it however we want to, whenever, that's fine. I'm just saying, do you want to be with God? And if you do, then there's a way to get in. W.A. Criswell, the theologian says, man cannot come to God in his own way. He must come in God's way or not at all. There's a way to speak to God. And he has told us how. We can't come in our own way. We can't make up the way to get there. So let me just give, I'm going to give us three statements. I'm going to back them up with scripture. And then we're going to spend some time in prayer here this morning. Here's the first one. The path of prayer begins with personal repentance. You want communion with God? You want to know what it's like to actually like to pray, not pray because you have to or not pray because then you want to eat, but to actually want to pray, to actually want to commune with God. It begins with personal repentance. Uh, sure, I think a lot of us pray, but I think we pray in arrogance or we pray in pride, but never in humility. We pray on behalf of the sins of other people or the sins of a nation, but we never pray on behalf of our own sins. I think we are t often, we are people who pray for comfort, but we never pray for conviction. God, get me out of this situation. God, uh, take me away from here. Deliver me from this. Never. God, convict my heart. Convict my heart. Whatever I'm feeling right now, do something with it. I'm feeling it. The path of prayer begins with personal repentance. In the book of Luke, Jesus is um, in the middle of his ministry, and like he does, he just, he just starts talking, and people who are walking in sin find themselves in one of two ways, either drawn towards the grace of Jesus or turned off by the grace of Jesus. The religious are like, you can't be giving that mercy to people. And the sinners like, please give that mercy to me. And so Jesus tells this parable in Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse nine. Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Now, this is a long time ago, so I'm not saying there are people like that now. I'm just saying back in the Bible, there are people who were self-righteous and treated other people with contempt. I'm not saying they're in our church. I'm just saying there are some people who do this. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now, the Pharisee would have been very self-righteous. He would have been considered a religious elite. If from the outside, he would have been the one who seemed the closest to God. And then you've got a tax collector who is in like the lowest rung of sinners. You've got tax collectors and prostitutes. That's kind of, that's the sinners. That's them down there. So these two go to pray. 
Verse 11, the Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. So the Pharisee, the one who has all the religious training, who knows God, should know God, appears from the outside like he's the one closest to God, begins his prayer with, God, I'm so thankful that I'm better than everybody else. I'm so thankful that you've given me the ability to be so good. I'm thankful that I'm not like the other. I'm not like sinners. I'm not like that. I'm not like other men. I'm not an extortioner. I'm not unjust. I'm not an adulterer. I might gossip from time to time, but I'm not like them. And then he has the guts to say, thank you that I'm not like this guy next to me. Now, listen, I know you would never say those words out loud, but here's your problem. God hears your heart. And so while you'll sit in prayer and say things like, oh, thank you for this, thank you for that, what God hears you saying is, thank you I'm not like other people. Thank you I'm not like my husband. Thank you I'm not like my wife or my spouse or my parents. Thank you that I'm so much better than them. Now, you're not saying that with your words, but your heart is saying it. Thank you that I don't vote that way that guy does. Thank you that I'm not part of that political party. Thank you that I'm not from that state. Then he continues. So now this is, he compares himself. And then secondly, he's going to elevate his works in verse 12. I fast twice a week. Man, I intermittent fast twice a week. I had to do this. It's like I, I fast. I forego meals supposedly to be closer to God. And I give tithes of all that I get. I am not like this tax collector. And I can prove it. I can prove it because of how I live my life. I can prove it because I don't watch those kinds of movies. I can prove it because I don't listen to that kind of music. Thank you for making me not like that guy. Thank you for making me not like him, the one, the one that, that drinks every night. Thank you for making me not like that. Now, again, you would never say that because you're good Southern people. You know better. Mama taught you better. But your heart is saying it. And then Jesus, in verse 13, compares this man to the tax collector. Verse 13, but the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Here's what's interesting. In the New Testament, which is written in Greek, the Old Testament written in Hebrew, this word here for merciful is the Greek translation of the Hebrew word for atonement. What this man is saying, if you're going to read this in the Exodus language, is, God, please make atonement for me. I can't do it. Please cover my sin. And the Pharisee is saying, I don't need your covering. I got it. I got it. I'm doing these things to cover my sin. And the, man, the tax collector says, God, please cover my sin. Then verse 14, Jesus tells us the end. I tell you, this man, the tax collector, went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. I believe we don't pray because we don't personally repent. You repent on behalf of other people, sure. God, I just want to tell you what my neighbor has done to me. God, I just want to, con I want to confess on behalf of my wife. She's been a real pain lately, and I want you to know it, and I'm, I'm sure she's sorry. It's personal repentance. How do, we, how do we pray? We pray beginning with personal repentance. Secondly, the passion of prayer is lit through repentance. For many of us, we don't pray because we just don't want to. 
We just don't get it. We just don't like it. It feels weird. We're talking to uh, space, maybe. Or maybe you're talking to the king of kings and the creator of the universe. Maybe you're doing that. And the passion for that is lit through repentance. Um, a few months ago, um, I was given tickets to go to an Atlanta Hawks game. So uh, me and Colton and Kaysen, my sons, we went to this Hawks game. And we've been to Hawks games before. We sat up to where like, you, they look like people down there, I think. I'm not real sure. But you can see the whole floor. And you can see most of Atlanta from wherever we sit. You can see all of it. And we were given these tickets. And so we walk in and I'm like, oh, this, this is a lower number than I'm used to seeing on my ticket. And so we walk in and uh, we get escorted down and we're like nine rows up from the court. And Kaysen, our nine-year-old is like, oh man, they, dad, they look so much bigger in real life than on TV. And I was like, yes, that's true. And then one of the boys says, and the court looks so much smaller. It does because those two things go together. They are gigantic people, which makes a real full-size court look a lot smaller than it is. Anyway, so we're there and we're watching and it's just a lot of fun. And again, we're there, me and my 13-year-old and nine-year-old, we're there to watch a basketball game. So we are dressed to watch a basketball game. What I learned is that people who sit that close to the court don't come dressed to watch a basketball game. They come dressed to go clubbing. And so we weren't, I don't know what I'm doing. And then we find out that our tickets, they have bracelets, we can go down under the stadium to eat. So not where all you peasants eat, but down there. So we walk, we walk down the stairs to eat, not up. We go down, and we go down to the court level. And I have to remind myself just to, just to keep walking. I can't just stand here and watch. And so then we turn a corner, and there's a lady there, and she's like, hey, let me see, let me see your tickets or your bracelets. This isn't a movie theater story. It was good. It was fine. And so I, I show them, and, and we walk in, and the heavens open. Angels start singing. It's just, I mean, it's... It's like Ford Fry food, so it's like legit. It's legit food. It's not burgers and nachos and fries. It's legit. And then at one point, there is a, uh, like a glass-doored refrigerator full of soda, Coke, pop, wherever you're from. That's what it's full of. And so Kaysen's like, I can't believe this is where we are. This is amazing. And I'm like, we still have rules, buddy, because you're crazy, and so maybe not all of it. But... I mean, we go, it's buffet, you eat whatever you want, they've got desserts. And listen, obviously, we did not belong there. Like, everyone knew it. Everyone knew it. But as long as I'm there, I'm gonna eat, man. I'm gonna get it. Like, you let me in, this is your problem. So now I'm gonna eat all the food, and my kid's gonna drink all your sodas, and we're just, we're gonna enjoy it because this is what, this is what we're doing, because I have access to it. Do you realize you should not be talking to God? You don't belong there. You don't belong at the throne of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You don't belong there speaking to the creator of the universe. And yet someone gave you a bracelet and you're in. So gosh, while you're there, you better eat, man. I get it. While you're there, no, you're not supposed to be there. If you ever felt like you deserve to be there, you might as well just back up because the fire's coming. We don't deserve to be there. But man, while we're there, you have access to the creator of the universe. What do you need? What do you want? Let's ask. That's, that's where passion comes from. Passion comes from realizing I don't belong here, but I have unfiltered access to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And how do you get that passion? By understanding your own sinfulness, understanding it's repentance that grants that. 
to us. Exodus chapter 30, we just read it in verse 7. It says that Aaron shall burn fragrant incense on the altar. Every morning when he dresses the lamps, he shall burn it. And when Aaron sets up the, t- the lamps at twilight, at evening, he shall burn it. A regular, some of your translations say a perpetual incense offering. It never ends. Paul would say to pray without ceasing. Why would you ever pray without ceasing? Because you understand you don't deserve to be there. So let's do everything you can to stay there. Like we're eating and there's a basketball game going on and I completely forgot we're at a Hawks game. Like that's what prayer is like. When you understand, when you're walking in repentance, I don't want to leave this place. This is amazing. What I get from him, what I get with him, I'm, I'm staying here as long as I can. So can you pray without ceasing? Yes. Continually in the presence of God. So on your way to work, you're praying. At lunch, you're praying. Before a meeting, you're praying. Yes. Unfiltered access every morning, every evening, perpetually in the presence of God. How do you get passion for prayer? You begin with you don't deserve to be there. Thirdly, the power of prayer is unleashed through repentance. You ever feel like your prayers just hit the ceiling? I want to be bold here and say a few things that I needed to hear years ago and that I need to hear even now. I think that we just need to hear. The reason our prayers hit the ceiling is because they hit the ceiling. The reason it doesn't feel like God is hearing your prayers might be because God isn't hearing your prayers. And I know that sounds so heretical for me to say. The problem is I've got scripture to back it up. James chapter five, verse 16, James says, therefore confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you might be healed. Then he continues in verse 16, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Some of your translations say, um, the fervent, effectual prayer of a righteous man yields much. A righteous person. It could just be that in your habitual sinfulness and lack of repentance, maybe your prayers aren't making their way to where you want them to go. Because you know what prayer has power? The The prayer of a righteous person. That prayer has power. It gets worse because Isaiah 59, Isaiah says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities, your sin, your transgression, your rebellions have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Now, God is everywhere, and he sees everything and hears everything, but there's this here that tells us that maybe, just maybe, our lack of repentance, not not our lack of perfection, our lack of repentance, our lack of depending upon the finished work of Jesus is actually keeping us from communing with the Father. And you know it's true because it's true in every other relationship of your life. If you've offended a spouse or a friend, there is distance in the relationship. It is true. What what is being said here in James and here in Isaiah 59 is maybe, just maybe, the problem isn't God. Maybe the problem is you and me. And maybe we don't pray because maybe we feel like it's fruitless. It hasn't yielded any results. And maybe we blame God for it. I'm just saying scripture says you should begin to blame yourself for it and not God. 
Because continual, habitual, unrepentant sin disconnects you from communion with the Father. So are you walking in unrepentant sin? Well, then hear me. To get back to God, you have to repent. You've got to confess your sin and repent. Do you want your prayers to yield results? Then be a righteous man. You want to find communion with God. This is what is asked for. Which is why I'll say this. For anyone who's going to tweet out prayers, love and prayers, who doesn't know Jesus, their prayers aren't going anywhere. You cannot be in sin and communion with God without dependence upon the finished work of Jesus. You can't. And so for all the celebrities praying for people, it's not going anywhere. And for you, follower of Jesus, who's saying you're praying for someone while you're continuing in habitual, unrepentant sin, your prayers aren't going anywhere. Dr. Keith Matheson, he's a professor at a seminary in Florida, says, God knows and hears all things, but the only prayer of the wicked to which he will listen is a prayer of genuine repentance. To light the altar of incense, you got to get the fire from the altar of repentance. And I wonder if all the classes on prayer, all the prayer journals you have, all the things you know about prayer, shoot, even Jesus says, this is how you pray. We know how to do it. I think the question is whether or not we actually want to do it in the way that he's asking us to do it. To deal with our own sin and darkness and depravity. To walk in humility. To understand you don't deserve to be there. And yet, at any moment of the day or night, you can get in. And while you're there, eat. Feast on the power of God. Brandon's going to come up and play for us. I'm just, I'm going to ask us a few questions, and I want us just to spend some time in actual fervent, repentant prayer. This isn't about us. This isn't about the church. This is about your soul being united with the King. This is about you knowing your Father. This is about you understanding the power that's at your disposal. The first question I think we need to wrestle with is, what fire are you offering to light the altar of incense for you? Where have you pulled the coals from? Have you pulled the coals from the altar of sacrifice? Or have you pulled the coals from the fire of your good works? The fire of good works is a strange fire. It's an unauthorized fire. I wonder if you've pulled your fire from selfishness. In James chapter 4, James says, you have not because you ask not, or because when you ask, you desire to spend it on your own passions. I wonder if the fire you've pulled from is actually because you want your life to be easier. And so, sure, you're praying for your kids and their behavior and their hearts, and you're praying for your husband, but at the end of the day, it's because you want your life to be easier. And you're praying for that ex-spouse because if she would just get her act right, it'd be so much easier for you. I wonder if the first thing we said was, God, I am a sinner. I'm saved by grace. 
Maybe you're pulling um, from the fire of unrepentance and comparison. Maybe you're pulling your flame for the altar of incense from comparison. Thank God I'm not like that person. Or at least I'm not as bad as so-and-so. At least I haven't done this thing. It's a strange fire unto the Lord. We learn in Leviticus chapter 10, verse 2, is God does not look kindly upon strange fire. That thing that you are lighting the fire with will consume you. Comparison will consume you. Jealousy will consume you. Selfishness will consume you. Your works will consume you. Access to the King of Kings is only granted through repentance. So I'm going to ask if you would, let's just pray together. And let's begin with repentance. So for many of us, posture makes a difference. And maybe what you're learning throughout this morning is that you've, you haven't been praying, you haven't been pulling your, your coals from that right altar. And maybe for some of you, what you need to do is you need to come, you can come to the altar and do this. Like this, sometimes this represents something different for you because it's not common, this feels a bit more holy. Maybe you need to turn around and kneel in your chair as, a, as an expression of humility. I am, I am lower than. Sometimes the altar feels embarrassing and that's the point. That's the point, that I'm, I'm lower than, I'm, I'm underneath, I'm, I'm subjecting myself to criticism. And maybe that's what it takes then to just begin with repentance. So as you find whatever posture you need, this altar is open. We can fill it if we need to. We have other places to go. Let's just go to the Lord. And let's just begin with repentance. Let's begin there. Let's begin with personal repentance. Don't be the Pharisee at the temple. Be the tax collector. Have mercy on me. Beg for it. Confess it. For me, it helps to name it, to say it. Not just to say things like, forgive me for my sin. Forgive me for this. I'm doing this. I've said this. My heart feels this. If you're angry and frustrated, I would bet what's underneath that is some sort of sin that you need to confess. Something you're trying to control and hang on to that's not yours. So let's begin there. Confession, repentance, draw the coals from the altar of sacrifice. Thoughts creep in about that other person. Draw it back to you. No, no, this is me. I need to get me right. And now with that ticket in your hand, that bracelet on your arm, man, you are in the presence of the king. What are you asking for? But what happens when you enter through repentance is the things you ask for begin to change. Listen, you want healing for someone? Ask him. You want a heart of forgiveness? Ask him. You want a restored marriage? Ask him. Don't bide your time until you can call it quits. Let's get healed. Let's get restored. Let's get redeemed. You're in the presence the creator of the universe, who by his word spoke the heavens into existence, he can handle your marriage and your kids and your job and your finances and your health. 
feast while we're in his presence today. might be some of you here this morning who you've never prayed the first prayer of repentance. And so sure, you've done all the good Southern things and you've prayed for meals and you've prayed for people. Sad is that because you've never prayed to receive the shed blood of Jesus over your sins is that all those things were wasted words and wasted breath. I wanna invite you into the true presence of Jesus. It's when you recognize your own sinfulness, you admit that you're a sinner in need of a Savior, you believe that Jesus is that Savior. He's the only one who can rescue you from your sin. And you confess with your mouth and with your life that Jesus is Lord. You are not. Your spouse is not. Your kids are not. Jesus is. And you subject your life to his Lordship. You will find freedom and new life and eternity with him. So that might be the first prayer you need to pray here this morning. Father, would you forgive me for even the places in my life, even today, that I've sought my own glory over yours. I've made decisions based on my comfort rather than conviction. I've leaned into selfishness and greed, done things to gain affirmation rather than to gain acceptance by you. Would you forgive us as a people For some of us, we know not what we do. For those of us whose addiction to sin has cost us, God, would you forgive us? Have mercy on us. Atone for our sins. God, while we're here with you, we're going to ask for things. Lord, we know you can. So we're asking, we're pleading on your behalf to heal loved ones. to visit hospitals and heal relatives and friends of ours who are sick, to heal marriages that are on the verge of collapse, some that have already, but knowing that you bring beauty from ashes. We ask that you would call our children to repentance, that you would save our kids, that you would rescue them from the power of the darkness, Pray that you would redeem what has been broken. You would restore what has fallen apart. We know that you can. We ask for your power to move, to heal broken hearts. We ask that you would make us a people passionate about this, who would spend every waking moment we have in communion with you, knowing that at our disposal is the power of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. God, make us aware of your presence in our lives uh, today and in the days to come. And may our repentance yield righteousness, which yields power in prayer. Make us fervent about it. 
Make us poor in spirit, for ours is the kingdom of heaven. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.